0: This is Agent Barry and you're listening to X-Files Truth. The truth truth the truth the truth what is the truth The truth is wrong, the belief, the truth. the truth, the truth The truth. the truth is out, the
2: truth.
3: Been locked away in the Pentagon vaults.
1: I've secretly been given access to these files. This is X Files Truth? E. C. Welcome back to X Files Truth. Today's file is Terma, basically part two of Tunguska the plot. Having been imprisoned in a gulag in Krasnoyarsk, Mulder learns that Krychek is a double agent working for the Russian taskmasters. Mulder is able to escape from the camp while taking Krychak hostage, although the two become separated in the confusion. Krychak is found by a group of men whose left arms have all been amputated and has his arm forcibly severed to prevent his involvement in black oil vaccination tests. Meanwhile, Vasily Peskow, a former KGB agent, has come out of retirement and traveled to America. While there, he assassinates Bonita Carneser, a doctor working for the Syndicate to develop a black oil vaccine. It's a nasty
0: habit. It's bad for the health. Health is the least of my concerns at the moment.
3: Yes, According to reports, your personal physician suffered a serious
0: riding accident here on your property. Dr. Khan Say was murdered. By whom? If I knew, do you think I'd be standing here talking to you? So, you need me now. A man of my capabilities, is that it? This was a professional hit. Really? And you out here all alone, so vulnerable? Were you sleeping with her? Surely you wouldn't be so foolish as to put the project at risk for the sake of your personal pleasures. Find her, killer. Call off this congressional investigation. I can't, but Senator Sorensen is an honorable man. They are all honorable, these honorable men.
3: I heard Mulder was captured in Tunguska.
0: I hear now he's escaped. Wake the Russian bear and it may find we've stolen its honey.
1: From here, Pascal tracks down Karn Sayers' test subjects, testing a Russian vaccine on them before killing them to cover his tracks. Mulder has been able to return to America with the help of a group of Russian peasants and rejoins his partner, Dana Scully. Scully and Assistant Director Walter Skinner have been detained by a U.S. Senate committee seeking to uncover Mulder's whereabouts, but the committee was adjourned upon Mulder's arrival.
0: I'd like to get started here. Ms. Scully. Yes, I'm uh, ready here, sir. You have evidence to present. This is what I've been told. Yes, sir. Uh, evidence linking a number of deaths, a great number, to a biotoxin that was transported to U.S. soil by a courier who was also killed. Uh, This was the man who was pushed from the assistant director's uh, apartment? Yes, he has not been ID'd. Do we have the name of the individual who pushed him? Yes, sir. Alex Krychek, who is missing and possibly deceased. And are you then in possession of the pouch or its contents? No, sir. What evidence uh, are you then presenting us with today? documents and interviews in support of a wide-ranging conspiracy to control a lethal biotoxin that is in fact extraterrestrial are we talking about little green men here no sir not at all why is this so hard to believe when the accepted
1: discovery of life off this planet is on the front page of every newspaper around the world when even the most conservative scientists and science journals are calling for the exploration of Mars and Jupiter with every reason to believe that life and the persistence of it is thriving outside our own terrestrial sphere if you cannot get past this then I suggest that this whole committee be held in contempt for ignoring evidence that cannot be
0: refuted this is not why we are here today then why are we here today? I will suggest that we recess here until the evidence can be properly evaluated.
1: The agents attempt to track down Pascal following a trail of murders in Boca Raton, Florida. However, the assassin is able to outwit the agents and destroys the last of the oil-containing rocks seen in the previous episodes in an oil well explosion. He returns to Russia, where it is revealed that he has been hired for this task by Krychek.
0: Hand
1: in your field report. And now for my field report for Terma. Terma is good. Um, I don't think it's as good as Tunguska, though. But it is a mythology episode, and a lot of people do get kind of confused about this black oil stuff. The conspiracy to hide it, and how it ties into everything. And when this first came out, I admit I didn't know what was going on either. And I don't think they actually do that great of a job of letting you know exactly what it is. There's so much hidden stuff in the X-Files that it's almost like they forget that they have to clue you in on some of these things. So even when the series was over and I'm doing the podcast, sometimes I'm learning stuff that I didn't even think of. So... I will admit that the X-Files has so many layers that you just, you don't get it the first time. There's no way you could get everything the first time. But we do get to learn a little bit more about the black oil, some of its origins, how important it is when you see how the syndicate handles it. And I remember getting worried because Mulder got infected by it, so I was thinking, you know, that's that's it. He's either going to die or he's permanently infected now for the rest of the series or whatever. So there's just... Again, so many layers, and it gets confusing sometimes, but um, it's a good episode. We get to see everybody. We get to see all the main characters. And like I said, it is a really good episode. So I'd probably give it 8.5 compared to all X-Files episodes, and maybe it's probably about there compared to mythology episodes too. Like I said, it's really good, but it's not one of the top mythology episodes, but I'll definitely put it 8.5 to 9. Compared to all shows on TV, though, it would probably be a 10. If I'm channel surfing, I'm not going to turn away from Terma if I'm coming across it. On the Mythometer, I already mentioned it's a Myth-Arc episode, so it's definitely a core part of the Mythology. And for the Sequelizer, it obviously has a high potential for a sequel because it's part of the Mythology, even though this kind of wraps up this part of the Mythology. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. Let's see if Agent Angela can help clear our minds here and head down to the chem lab and get some of the chemistry between Mulder and Scully for Terma down in the chem lab.
2: Hello, agents. After his horrifying ordeal in the cliffhanger of Tunguska, we find Mulder back lying on the floor in his gulag prison cell. Uh, He really doesn't look that good, to say the least. His fellow prisoner in the next cell wakes him up, telling him that the first time with the black cancer is the worst, but it gets easier each time until it kills you. Um, not really all that comforting. We learn that this unnamed prisoner was a geologist who was there when the Tunguska Rock was discovered. Am I the only one who thinks this guy gives a really good performance, with only his voice and part of his face visible through a hole in the stone wall? It's downright chilling at times.
1: It is wonderful. The persistence of life. That rock we found buried so deep in the earth that anything could survive down there against all reason.
2: Meanwhile, Scully's back at the medical facility, trying to figure out exactly what's put the doctor in this waking dead state after the black oil got into him. Turns out a creepy-looking organism is attached to a gland in his brain. Then she runs into Skinner, and he demands answers about the diplomatic pouch to avoid the crime of perjury against the Senate subcommittee. Mulder, meanwhile, gets taken out of his cell in the Gulag and marched outside with a bunch of other prisoners. He takes his one chance to make a break for it, driving off in a truck that was probably intended for prisoner transport. Whether they were meant to be transported dead or alive, glad we never have to find that out for sure. Krychek's in the back of the truck, at least temporarily, until he jumps out and Mulder runs it off the road. News of this escape reaches the CSM almost right away. As Mulder hides in the woods of Russia, Scully's back giving her same speech we saw in Tunguska. But this time, we get to see the outcome, as she faces off with the higher-ups. She ends up in a jail cell for contempt of Congress. True to her nature, she keeps that same trademark Scully coolness, even if she's jailed. After all, she has plenty to read. As Scully says to Skinner when he visits her, she's not doing this just to protect Agent Mulder. She's doing it in the pursuit of justice, of upholding the laws she swore to, as far as finding out what harmed, or even killed the people involved, and holding those responsible accountable. Even as she seems mostly alone in this quest, with Mulder still on the run from the gulag and the horrible tests done within it.
0: Yet, what are we stuck on here? The whereabouts of Agent
3: Mulder. You mean it's the wrong question?
0: Several of the men on this committee are lawyers. It is my experience that lawyers ask the wrong question only when they don't want the right answer. Unless Agent Mulder has already found the answers they're looking for.
2: Or someone wants
0: to make sure that he doesn't find them.
2: This exchange between Scully and Skinner is one of the stronger parts of this episode, I think. Things don't improve at the beginning of the next subcommittee hearing the next day. Sorensen goes right back to the wrong question, asked to avoid getting the right answer. Mulder abruptly cutting in with, what is the question, is another favorite moment of mine in Terma. It's still rather unexpected, as we the audience are instead paying attention to the arguing between Scully and Sorensen. And yes, I love the look on Scully's face as she turns around. Brief as it is, it says, hope restored. Now Scully's free to finish about the death of the doctor who may have had knowledge of the black cancer. Scully can also put both her arms around Mulder when they have a brief hug an attempt to make light of his time on the Russian gulag diet. But still, it's very sweet in that little moment. Mulder and Scully are back on the case together again in the last quarter of this episode. The black oil infection shows up in the Florida convalescent home, then the pursuit of the truth takes them to Terma, North Dakota. We also get the unsettling side note that Saddam Hussein supposedly used the black cancer for warfare during the first Gulf conflict. There's also a famous behind-the-scenes photo of Mulder and Scully in the helicopter that regularly makes its rounds online, and Term is the episode it's from, in case any of you were wondering. Anyway, Mulder gets doused from an oil geyser and barely gets away before the leak causes an explosion. And there's a great shot of Scully sprinting over and rescuing him this time around. Back at the final Senate hearing, Mulder and Scully face off together against the higher-ups who want to do nothing but bury the truth. And the session ends up getting recessed indefinitely. Until next time, this is Agent Angela. Counterintelligence Inside Information
3: This is Agent Stone with Counterintelligence With X4.9, Terma Original air date, December 1st, 1996 Written by Chris Carter and Frank Spotnitz Directed by Rob Bowman Your enemy is my enemy Several scenes in Terma were inspired by the novels of Alexander Solzhenitsyn, while its tagline changed to "E Per si from the usual The Truth is Out There, and is a reference to Galileo Galilei's investigation by the Roman Inquisition. The episode's title refers to Terma, a set of Buddhist teachings hidden from the world. Series creator Chris Carter felt these represented the secrets kept by the Syndicate. Terma, Tibetan for hidden treasure, are key Tibetan Buddhist and Bon teachings, which the tradition holds were originally esoterically hidden by various adepts, such as Padmasambhava and his Dakinis, or consorts, in the 8th century for future discovery at auspicious times by other adepts, known as Tertons. As such, they represent a tradition of continuous revelation in Tibetan Buddhism. Termas are part of Tantric literature. Tradition holds that Terma may be a physical object, such as a text or ritual implement that is buried in the ground or earth, hidden in a rock or crystal, secreted in an herb or a tree, hidden in a lake, or hidden in the sky. Though a literal understanding of Terma is hidden treasure, and sometimes objects are hidden away, the teachings associated should be understood as being concealed within the mind of the Guru. That is, the true place of concealment is the Tertan's stream. If the concealed or encoded teaching of object is a text, it is often written in Dakini script, a non-human type of code or writing. Fremantle states, Termas are not always made public right away. The conditions may not be right, people may not yet be ready for them, and further instructions may need to be revealed to clarify their meaning. Often, the Turton himself has to practice them for many years. The episode's Gulag scenes were inspired by Alexander Solzhenitsyn's novels The Gulag Archipelago and One Day in the Life of Ivan Dinosvich. The Gulag Archipelago is a book about the Soviet force labor camp system. The three-volume book is a narrative relying on eyewitness testimony and primary research material, as well as the author's own experiences as a prisoner in a Gulag labor camp. Written between 1958 and 1968, it was published in the West in 1973, and thereafter circulated in underground publication form in the Soviet Union until its appearance in the Russian literary journal Novi Mur in 1989, in which a third of the work was published over three issues. GULAG is an acronym for something that I'm not going to try to pronounce, but translates to Chief Administration of Corrective Labor Camps the bureaucratic name of the governing board of the Soviet labor camp system, and by monotony, the camp system itself. The original Russian title of the book is Archipelago Gulag, the rhyme supporting the underlying metaphor deployed throughout the work. The word archipelago compares the system of labor camps spread across the Soviet Union with a vast chain of islands known only those two who were fated to visit them. Since the dissolution of the Soviet Union and the formation of the Russian Federation, the Gulag Archipelago has been officially published and has been included in the high school program in Russia as mandatory reading since 2009. Shultzson argued that the Soviet government could not govern without the threat of imprisonment and that the Soviet economy depended on the productivity of the forced labor camps, especially insofar as the development and construction of public works and infrastructure were concerned. This put into doubt the entire moral standing of the Soviet system. In Western Europe, the book eventually contributed strongly to a need for rethinking of the historical role of Lenin. With the Gulag Archipelago, Lenin's political and historical legacy became problematic, and those factions of Western communist parties, who still based their economic and political ideology on Lenin, were left with a heavy burden of proof against them. George F. Kennan, the influential U.S. diplomat, called the Gulag Archipelago, quote, "...the most powerful single indictment of a political regime ever to be levied in modern times." In an interview with German weekly Die Zeit, British historian Orlando Figes asserted that many Gulag inmates he interviewed for his research identified so strongly with the book's contents that they became unable to distinguish between their own experiences and what they read. The Gulag archipelago spoke for a whole nation and was the voice of all those who suffered. Despite the efforts by Schulzenson and others to confront the legacy of the Gulag, the realities of the camps remained taboo into the 1980s. While Khrushchev, the Communist Party and the Soviet Union's supporters in the West viewed the Gulag as a deviation of Stalin, Shultzansson and many among the opposition tended to view it as a systematic fault of Soviet political culture, an inevitable outcome of the Bolshevik political project. One Day in the Life of Ivan Denosvich is a novel first published in November 1962 in the Soviet literary magazine Nove Mur, or New World. The story is set in a Soviet labor camp in the 1950s and describes a single day of an ordinary prisoner, Ivan Denosvich Shukov. The book's publication was an extraordinary event in Soviet literary history since never before had an account of Stalinist repression been openly distributed. The editor of Novi Mur Alexander Tardovsky wrote a short introduction for the issue titled Instead of a Foreword to Prepare the Journal's Readers for What They Were About to Experience. The main themes of one day in the life of Ivan Denisovich are authoritative oppression and camp survival. Specifically discussed are the prison officials' cruelty and spite towards their fellow man. Shulzonson explains, though Ivan Denosvich, that everything is managed by the camp commandment to the point that time feels unnoticed, the prisoners always have work to do and never have any free time to discuss important issues. Survival is one of the utmost importance to prisoners. Attitude is another crucial factor in survival. Since prisoners are assigned... A grade, it is considered good etiquette to obey. This is outlined through the character of Futakov, a ministry worker who has let himself into prison and scarcely follows prison etiquette. Another such incident involves Boinovsky, a formal naval captain, who is punished for defending himself and others during an early morning frisking. Alexander Shultzson had first-hand experience in the gulag system having been imprisoned from 1945 to 1953 for writing derogatory comments and letters to friends about the conduct of the war by Joseph Stalin, whom he referred to by epithets such as the Master and the Boss. Shultzson claimed the prisoners wept when news of Stalin's death reached them. He used the epithet Old Man Whiskers in his novel, where it is translated as Old Whiskers or Old Man Whiskers. This title was considered offensive and derogatory, but prisoners were free to call Stalin whatever they liked. Somebody in the room was bellowing, Old man Whiskers won't ever let you go. He wouldn't trust his own brother, let alone a bunch of cretins like you. Drafts of stories found in Scholzenson's map case were used to incriminate him. In 1957, after being released from the exile that followed his imprisonment, Scholzenson began writing One Day. In 1962, he submitted his manuscript to Nove a Russian literary magazine. The editor, Alexander Tardovsky, was so impressed with this detailed description of life in the labor camps that he submitted the manuscript to the Communist Party's Central Committee for approval to publish it. Until then, Soviet writers had only been allowed to refer to the camps. From there, it was sent to the de-Stalinist Khrushchev, who, despite the objections of some top party members, ultimately authorized its publication with some censorship of the text. After the novel was sent to the editor, Alexander Tardovsky of Mur, it was subsequently published in November of 1962. The labor camp described in the book was one that Shulzenson had served some time at and was located in Karaganda in northern Kazakhstan. For now, I'd say this case is open. So the final word on terma, everything that's happened... Every death we've seen can be traced back to one man.
0: on out
2: there what's out there for terma up first we have this short but not all that sweet review posted on the unwelcome commentary blog it says it's disappointing that so much of terma is annoyingly complex and ridiculous since the whole alien rock from mars idea is pretty fun and no matter how illogical the writers appear to be making it the black oil or now the black cancer way cooler is still a great plot device And while I wouldn't say Terma is any more annoying than a lot of the other more recent conspiracy episodes, more than ever it seems to be more convoluted junk folded in on itself. Krychek continues to be pretty much a non-character, in that he gets unnecessary evolution every time he reappears, all under the disguise of development. Was he working for the KGB all along, or is it a recent development? It's just kind of ridiculous at this point. I get that the show enjoys having Nicholas Lee around, but he seriously shouldn't be made so integral to the mythology like this. Elsewhere, the fun cliffhanger of the last episode didn't fulfill my expectations. Mulder escapes soon after, and are we supposed to assume that the black oil has already left his body? Or if it's lying in wait, for want of a better word? I just don't understand any of this damn show anymore. A feeling I'm guessing the writers felt as well. Another issue I'm having with the show's conspiracy hours is that, instead of things getting increasingly stupid, they're getting increasingly repetitive. Mulder and Scully relentlessly pursue a lead, only to lose out in the end. Then, just when you think they're getting somewhere with the higher-ups, we discover said higher-up is in the pocket of the CSM, who lights up yet another cigarette in yet another darkened room somewhere. It's frustrating, since the show's standalone episodes are going from strength to strength, Roll on paper hearts. Rating, C-. What do I think? Oh, yes. The lack of certainty with Mulder and the black oil. Something I always couldn't help but wonder. Did this initial infection with the black cancer never fully leave him? And could it have had something to do with William initially being born with some cool alien origin telekinesis? Ugh. So many unanswered Mythar questions. Left hanging out there, even after all these years later. And I, for one, am excited to review Paper Hearts next time. Been looking forward to this episode for a long time. To be expected from me, I guess. Up next, we have plenty of thoughts on Terma from TheAVClub.com. The basic plot isn't that hard to follow, largely because it follows the trajectory of the end run of nearly every mythology storyline. Namely, the cover-up moves into place, articulate old men make vague, ominous pronouncements, a few people die... And there's some small hope that maybe next time, Mulder and Scully might find the proof they need to bring the conspiracy to light. But the specifics remain frustratingly elusive, and not just in the ominous way they've always seemed elusive. There are threads here that could have made for a really fascinating drama, had they been given more focus. The standard complaint against the later mythology episodes is that they lost their urgency and turned into a huge muddle of vamping for time routines. Plot 1. Scully versus the United States government. This is easily my least favorite of the three plots. Tunguska opened with Scully giving a speech in a congressional hearing, but because of the fractured time, another way to hide that you really don't have much story is to screw with chronology. It creates a false sense of suspense, because while the audience isn't that concerned about the individual events, the three days earlier header creates an automatic mystery. We just assume there has to be some viable reason for the jumping around, even when there hardly ever is. We don't get to see her give her speech proper until some ways into Terma. Congress isn't happy with all the craziness over the intercepted diplomatic pouch, the one with the rock in it, and so Scully is called on the carpet to explain where Mulder went because that's basically her job in the mythology at this point. She was abducted, her sister was murdered, but her primary purpose is to cover for her partner and provide reassuring, vaguely sexualized hugs when her partner returns. This is probably my least favorite version of the character, as even with all the crap that's been handed to her since she joined Mulder's quest, she doesn't really feel like he's equal in their pursuit of the truth. The show works best when it recognizes that it has two leads and not just a hero with a sidekick. The government people aren't all that impressed by Scully's speechifying, and to tell the truth, neither am I. Everything she says is essentially true. There is a culture of lies. There are shadowy figures who never pay the price of responsibility for their crimes, and that turns her work into a joke, but the lines are belabored and pompous. Plot 2. In Soviet Russia, Black Cancer, (laughs) You. In the final shots of Tunguska, Mulder is strapped down to a cot under a sheet of chicken wire as the Black Cancer clouds his eyes. It's a great cliffhanger, and while Terma doesn't exactly deliver on the follow-through, it at least deals with what happened in a fairly logical way. After all, it's not like Mulder was going to get killed, although it would have been nice to see him spend some time under the influence of alien forces. Admittedly, those of us who enjoy watching Mulder act like someone else will have the opportunity to do so soon enough. The explanation, delivered in hushed, urgent tones from the cell next door, that the Russian government injects prisoners with the cancer, which we've been referring to as the black oil, mostly because cancer generally doesn't turn you into a murder machine in the search for an inoculation against the looming threat of alien invasion. We've seen people infected by the oil survive, before, nothing can kill the cry chick. and the idea of repeated injections of the stuff is chilling enough that this resolution isn't too bad. Also silly is Mulder's dramatic entrance into Scully's hearing later on. He gives his own big speech here, and again, it should be rousing, and maybe I've just become too inert to all this, but it mostly just made me cringe. Nothing of consequence is happening here, and there's no catharsis of Mulder facing down his enemies and sticking it to them. It's just sort of crazy man yelling at a bunch of old guys in suits. Afterward, Mulder and Scully try and and finally track down that damn rock, only it gets lost in an explosion at an oil rig. And looking at my notes, I just realized that I'm confusing the chronology of the events myself. Mulder's speech doesn't come till after they lose the rock, so it's even more hollow than before. This is a plot line that should have been the spine of the episode, as it has always been the spine of the mythology arcs, and it has its moments. I hope Crycheck is right-handed. But when Mulder shouts, why is this so hard to believe, I shouldn't be snickering. Plot 3. The Well-Manicured Man Loses a Friend Out of everything in Terma, the few scenes we get between the well-manicured man and the cigarette-smoking man were the most potentially intriguing. One of the reasons Musings of a Cigarette Smoking Man works as well as it does is that it offers us a quick peek behind the curtain in Oz's palace. Too much of this, and we see the old man at the controls as a humbug, and a lot of the drama is lost. That there's so much about the cabal of codgers we don't know and as the conspiracy wears on, the only real place left with any secrets worth sharing is what drives these men to behave the way they do. These aren't shadows, these are people who, at one point or another, made the decision that only they had the best interests of the country at heart and that it was necessary for them to take steps to see those interests were followed. There's a tremendous amount of potential tragedy in that, in watching good intentions corrupt and decay into cruelty, It's a shame we only get to peek around the edges. These storylines are going to continue, and they're going to have some cool action beats and the occasional freaky alien or monster, but Terma confirms what Ktunguska implied. Second verse, same as the first, and so on. Grade, B+. Well, my two cents? I actually learned something new early in reading this AV Club post. That messing with the story's chronology does not make for good writing, and more often than not, simply covers up a lack of substance. Something to file away for possible future reference. I do agree with this reviewer that Scully is less of an equal and more of a sidekick in this mythos two-parter, and as much as I enjoy seeing Mulder and Scully getting briefly close when he returns, the series as a whole is so much better when she's more his equal in the search for the seemingly ever-elusive truth. As always, Be sure to drop by our show notes page at xfilestruth.com for links to the full texts of both these reviews. My final word on Terma? Why is this so hard to believe? profiles. But these aren't humans, Scully. Profiles in character. From a look at it, they were alien.
3: This week's profile, Agent Pendrel, as portrayed by Brendan Bicer. Agent Pendrel first appears as an employee of the FBI's Psycrime Lab who assisted Agent Scully in her investigations in the third season. Pendle shows a helpful demeanor, a self-deprecating nature, and nurses an obvious crush on Agent Dana Scully. He provides analytical assistance to Mulder and Scully over the course of several episodes, showing a particular aptitude for working with computers and biological materials. His feelings for Scully, however, remain unrequited. In the fourth season episode, Tempest Fugit," Pendle runs into Scully in a bar. He seizes the opportunity to buy her a birthday drink. On his way back to Scully's table, Pendrel is caught in the crossfire of a shootout with the Syndicate assassin taking a bullet. Dun dun dun. Until the past two somewhat shipper-friendly seasons, proponents of a more than platonic relationship between Mulder and Scully counted on Agent Pendrel to prove romance could blossom at the FBI. So when the forensic expert who backed up Scully's scientific analysis while secretly pining for her, sacrificed himself for his lady love, he could have easily won a nomination for sainthood. But Brendan Beiser, the actor behind the fan-dubbed Lab Boy, wasn't impressed by being shot in the heart in the local watering hole. I thought, what a jerk! What's he doing drinking anyway after four in the afternoon? That's usually what Mulder does, not me insists Bizer, a consummate jokester. But he reluctantly concedes, I suppose it was somewhat heroic. He took a bullet for Scully, that was nice, but she could have leaned over and kissed him at the very least. While the actor's heartstrings were being tugged on screen, his future on the X-Files dangled just as tortuously off screen. Rumors about his end ran rampant in the weeks leading up to the filming of what became his final episode. It went something like this... If I recall, he wasn't going to be killed, and then he was going to be, and then he wasn't going to be, and it was like a tennis match, basically," Biser explains. They weren't sure, so one day I finally just got the script, I had heard all sorts of rumors, but then the script was just given to me, and there it was. Not surprisingly, Bizer didn't take the news well. That's when the drug abuse started, I suppose, he jokes. In a rare serious moment, the Vancouver resident admits that he does miss his character. He's kept busy with stints in independent films and Canadian television roles, not to mention gardening and visits from his mum. But the actor still dreams of the day when Pendrel will return with a flowing red cape and a blue shirt with red underwear pulled over his pants and a large P on his chest, he enthuses. He even has his own idea for the name of the episode marking the character's resurrection, The P-Files. Agent Pendril has appeared in nine episodes of The X-Files. Although Agent Pendrel was merely a minor character, he succeeded in starting a revolution and went on to spawn a multitude of websites and shrines. Brendan Joseph Beiser, born April 17, 1970, is a Canadian actor best known for his performance as Agent Pendrel in The X-Files. He is the son of Order of Canada recipient Morton Beiser and Canadian socialite Roberta Lando Beiser, brother to journalist Vince Beiser and is related to actor Peter Lando, as well as horror film director Jeffrey Lando. Beiser moved from Boston to France at age 6 and then to Vancouver at age 7. He studied theater at Concordia University in Montreal and later attended the William Davis Center for Actors Study in Vancouver, where he studied under William B. Davis and Mark Bauer.
0: your email I
1: found these in my email this morning and now the female with the emails agent Angela
2: Hi everyone we've got some terrific feedback this time a little while ago I posted a question of the day that agent Barry suggested it was why do you think the x-files and its phenomenal fandom have endured for so long A couple of answers we got from Chris Montemurro on Twitter, he says, I think the lasting power of the X-Files is due to the science and sci-fi nature of its mythology and how they coexist. And from Anu Kalagi on Facebook, Because it was the first of its kind in the pre-internet era where two amazing actors balanced the entire show on their shoulders, and yet continued to charm the audience. Always. I think these are both great answers. And I also think it's a great thing to point out that Mulder and Scully have been synonymous with the X-Files itself. You can't separate them at all. I also think it ushered in the modern online fandom arena as we know it. When you think about it, every other element of every online fandom has at least some roots that can be traced right back to the X-Files online fandom. If you take the time to look hard enough. Which is a fascinating topic to me all on its own. Up next, we got a couple of very cool Twitter shoutouts from Ghost and Demon Hunter. The first one says, Check out our buddies at XFT for the X-Files superfan. Ghost and Demon Hunter also included us in another shoutout with several other established podcasts and or paranormal radio shows. Coast to Coast AM happened to be one of them. I just had to mention that. Next, we got a comment on Twitter from Paola Marcella about the X-Files revival. It says, I know it sounds corny, but I'd like them to be happy with William. And of course, a sex scene. It's about damn time. And I'd like some answers, some aliens, and some epic Scully-saving Mulder moments. Well, I'm glad someone came out and said it, about the second point of this wish list. I really don't know how good the chances are of Mulder and Scully being reunited with William, but you never know. And yes, I think it's safe to say we're all hoping for some definitive answers, finally, as far as this labyrinth of a mythos goes. We got a comment on our website from Wagner in Chiratiba, Brazil. It just says, thank you. Great podcast about the X-Files. Thank you for tuning in. It still seems sometimes like such an amazing thing to me that we can reach any corner of the globe, across the nation and around the world. Always love hearing from our international listeners. And, Wagner, I'm so glad you took the time to leave us a comment. Finally, we got a very awesome five-star review on iTunes on July 30th of this year from ChrisMo78. It says, I've been an X-Files fan since the 90s and love being able to revisit one of my favorite shows via an awesome podcast made by the best X-Files fans around. Keep up your hard work, and just know I look forward to the release of a new podcast episode every month now. Chris Carter can only be impressed by your tenacious appetite for this groundbreaking show. David and Jillian, too. That's amazing. Thank you so much. I'm really flattered, and I'm sure the other agents are as well. We've been around for a while now, and will be until... Well, I used to say until the I-want-to-believe end, but now, who can say for sure when that final end will be? Very happy you're enjoying it so much, Chris. You're always welcome to get in touch with us anytime. And we always love hearing from all of you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at X Truth. Like us on Facebook at Facebook.com/Slash Podcast. And feel free to drop by our website, xfilestruth.com. And if you'd like, you can also email us at xfilestruthlive.com. The truth is still out there, people. Go find it.
1: Yi amigo, termatífoni, pulei, terma, terma, terma.
3: Next time on X Files Truth, a series of vivid dreams lead Mulder back to imprisoned serial child killer John Lee Roche, who hints he may have been Samantha Mulder's abductor and murderer.
1: well that closes the file for Terma and I would like to thank the agents that helped me every week get this podcast going. Agent Angela Agent Stone and Agent M who does all the music in the background that you hear. Thanks a ton to you guys. Without all three of those people helping this would not be a podcast. Remember to check the website xfilestruth.com and hit us up on Facebook and Twitter or email us at xfilestruth@live.com. And again, thanks to Agent Angela who is the media queen for X-Files Truth who handles most of that stuff. For those of you who like the Monster of the Week episodes, we have three or four of those coming up next, so that'll be pretty good. And we will see you next week for Paper Hearts. Did you like that one, puppies? I made this.
0: Twentieth century fox. No sto. Vám objednávám jenom as. Prosím, alusta. Pamatte. Já bohužel tím nezajímajíš. Все позади, Камрад Крайчек. Я просто хочу поздравить вас, товарищ, с выполненной Хорошо. Step into the world of power, loyalty and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis and spins mean everything. Now you wanna get mixed up in the family business? Introducing